Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. everybody. Welcome into the College Football Daily. I'm Brennan Marcello, an unfamiliar voice for you. I'm stepping in for Trey Scott, who is on vacation early this week. It is a Tuesday. We're going to continue our Power 5 preview series with a big one. USC, Southern Cal, went to the Pac-12 championship game last season in the very shortened season because of COVID-19, but some high expectations, obviously, with Keaton Slovis coming back and a load of talent. We bring in Shotgun Spratling with uscfootball.com with 24-7 Sports. I wanted to start off here with a kind of a big picture question. We're going into the seventh season of the Clay Helton era. Five and one last year, went to the Pac-12 championship, lost, of course, to Oregon. Where are we with the Clay Helton era at USC? Is there any pressure there or... I guess kind of set the scene for me. I mean, there's definitely pressure there. There's pressure every season at USC. And the USC fans, I feel like, have wanted Clay Helton gone for a couple of years now, actually. Um, and USC, it's been difficult for, for them to make a move with the financials of it. And that played into it from what we've been told. So this year is the year that maybe the bio goes down a little bit. So it, I think there's pressure on Clay Helton to produce and produce more than just a Pac-12 championship. I think a Pac-12 championship is the minimum they need and potentially a college football playoff appearance for him to, to hold on to his job. You know, it would kind of be depending on how the, the eye test is there a little bit. But I think there's definitely pressure on him this season in particular to go out there and produce with Keaton Slovis being his third year, uh, with the second year in a new defense, the third year in a new offense. They've basically changed every single piece around Clay Helton and kept Clay Helton. So I think that now that everything has been changed from strength and conditioning to almost every assi single assistant, this is the year where, where it's put up or shut up. And if, if they don't uh, you know, make a run at the college football playoff, it, it could be the last for Clay Helton. Well, that's kind of what happens when you get to this point of your tenure at a big-time program like USC. You get into that seventh, eighth year, you better be not just competing for championships, but winning them. So this spring, you're about halfway through at USC. They're going to be conducting their, actually their annual spring game earlier than you would expect, not at the end, but in the middle. But as we go into this mid part of spring practices at USC, a load of injuries, like much like any other program, but a big one this past week with Nickel Max Williams suffering the second ACL tear, I believe, of his career, second three years. Obviously, he's going to miss this upcoming season. What's the depth look like there in that secondary and particularly at the nickel spot because of that injury to Max? Well, it's interesting. You know, he was a kind of a co-starter last year because when they used the dime, he would be on the field. He was rotating in. So he's technically the backup, but then he took over the starting role because Greg Johnson went down with a knee injury later in the season. He's not practicing this spring either. So the nickel the position is, is kind of open right now. And they're doing some experimenting. They're actually moved Isaiah Polamau. They're starting, you know, strong safety, moved him down into that nickel spot to have him play in the box a little bit, try it out, see what it looks like. You know, he 
he's playing in that starting role. They've also got to replace Talano Hufunga at another starting safety spot. So they're looking at, at some different options there. Chase Williams is a veteran guy who's been in there. He's, he's you know, taken on a new leadership role as well for them. I expect him to be a guy that'll be in the mix for one of those starting positions. And then they got the transfer from Texas, Xavier Alford, who's come in. And he's a guy that kind of, you know, we, we've kind of eyed as a potential Talano Hufunga replacement just because he's a very versatile guy. But we'll see exactly. They're, they're mixing and matching right now. And it, the depth is actually fine at that spot because they have a, a ton of young guys that have come in. They've got a dynamic safety class with, with not only Alford, but also Kalen Bullock. You have Xavier, uh, Xavier, uh, excuse me, Zamarian Gordon, and you're going to have Prophet Brown and Jalen Smith coming in as well. Prophet Brown probably be slotted for the cornerback spot, but they have a tremendous DB class that came in this year. So the depth is okay there. Also got some other guys that are second or third year guys like Britton Allen, who's taking a step up. They've got enough depth at the safety positions that they move Kaulana Makaula to an inside linebacker spot. So I think that, that kind of answers the question there. Even with the injury, they've been able to kind of still move some guys around. They've actually had more depth issues at cornerback right now, and they'll get some, some guys back, but Chris Steele wasn't able to practice early because of some COVID pr- protocol issues. So they had three cornerbacks, uh, uh, scholarship cornerbacks for several practices to try to go up against their wide receiver core. So a little bit more issue at the cornerback spot, but again, they'll get some bodies to add to that as well. I wanted to ask about the running back situation. It fascinates me with Texas transfer Keontae Ingram coming in. What does that look like? Is Clay Helton going to be the type of coach going into this season where he kind of relies on one guy, or is he going to rotate players? So that's been the kind of the question of the offseason because running backs coach Mike Jinks actually said in an interview with the LA Times said, I want to have a leader. I want to have a bell cow. I want that guy. I want to pick a guy and stick with him. And they did that to an extent in the UCLA game late in the season. And I think when they do something and it works, then they really want to focus on it uh, and go go with it. And the running game was a big issue for them in the second half of the season last year. It got shut down. They just couldn't do anything on the ground outside of that UCLA game. So I think Vi Malapai is kind of the, the guy that has been the starter more often the last couple years but they have always had issues with injuries at running back now that's a position that gets a lot of injuries so you got to have multiple guys but Stephen Carr and Vi are your two older guys Keontae Egram and Brandon Campbell the true freshman has come in and made a strong impression as well he, he's had a couple of nice touchdown runs in the, the first couple of weeks of spring so both those Texas kids Ingram and uh, Campbell have come in and made some strong impression now they're getting more opportunities because they got to learn a little bit more um, but I, I think the the goal for USC for the coaching staff is they want to pick someone each week and say, okay, you're the guy that we're going to give the bulk of the carries to, and maybe we'll get a, a guy, a breather in there for you rather than subbing three or four guys in. And they also have Keenan Kristen, who is not practicing with the team this spring because he's a track guy, you know, has elite speed that, that he's another guy that they could throw in there. So it'd be interesting if they actually do decide to do that. And, you know, how they use those individual talents on occasion, because you would love to see them find a way to get a guy like Keenan Kristen. You know, can you find him an opportunity where, you know, when he gets a hole, he's gone. He, he, he takes he turns a four yard run into a 40 yard run and, not, and nothing because uh, of how quick he is. So it, 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 that's something they've kind of been dealing with the last couple of years is like they want to try to get everybody in and keep everybody happy and they, you haven't had the success with the run game. So it hasn't been something that they've been able to do uh, consistently. I want to talk about that offensive line because I guess the reports I've seen from uscfootball.com and you guys is that there's been some struggles there. And, you know, is it the offensive line struggling or is that defensive line just that good? But it makes me wonder, though, 
is this going to be an issue going into the fall? And it's not necessarily just a situation where we're going, well, the defense is ahead of the offense because it's early and midway through the spring. The, the crazy thing is they, they've had a first-round pick last year in Austin Jackson at left tackle. They're going to have a first-round pick, possibly the, the number one interior guy to come off the draft board this year in Elijah Vera Tucker. And the offensive line has struggled. The offensive line struggled to protect Keaton Slovis. He's finished both the last two seasons with an injury. You know, left the Holiday Bowl two years ago uh, against Iowa with an arm injury. And then last year, the final play, a Hail Mary attempt against Oregon, he got banged up as well. So they went through multiple quarterbacks two years ago in, in the 2019 season, the last full season, because they, you know, they're not protecting well enough. And some of it's communication, and they were they mixed some guys around. I expect the offensive line to continue to progress because they do have a new offensive line coach in Clay McGuire. He has more experience in the, the air raid, and that's been one of the things that I, that I think there was kind of a, a strange hire moving Tim Drevno from running backs coach to offensive line coach before just because he didn't have that experience. So to get someone who has the, the experience that knows this, the same uh, you know the same lingo basically in that offense, I, I think it's going to be a positive, but we haven't seen the, the positive signs yet. And I think that is partly because the defensive line is playing really well right now. They're flying all over the place. Vic Soto, the the defensive line coach that they brought from Virginia, drawing rave reviews from the players. And, you know, we're seeing some really positive things for them. They've got some talent on that side, even though they've lost Marlon Tui-Peloto and Jay Tefele to the draft. Uh, so I, I think that and they're going to add even more when you get Corey Foreman in in, in yeah. the summer as well. Uh, so that group is kind of scary good right now, and that's a positive for them. But the offensive line has to continue to progress. Left tackle is the big question. It was, it was the question last year, and luckily for USC, Elijah Vera Tucker was able to just seamlessly uh, transition out there and, you know, lock down the spot, and, and it was never a question. Well, now they're trying what, – what the plan is is to have – they're starting with Cortland Ford, who is a second-year freshman. He's going to be out there. Casey Collier, another second-year freshman, is out there. And both those guys, I think, have a ton of potential. Casey Collier is like 6'8", 6'9", like 320 pounds, moves really well. I think he has a great – has great upside. But, again, second-year freshman, he didn't play pretty much at all last year. Ford played a little bit in one game because of some COVID issues. But they're also potentially going to play Jalen McKenzie, possibly flip him from the right side to the left side. And John Amonheim is another second-year freshman. They're all giving them – they're planning to give them all opportunities at left tackle – the first two weeks of camp, they set Cortland Ford out there and set the four guys they have returning all at the same spots and then said, okay, after two weeks, then we're going to start mixing and matching. So we'll see where it lo- what it looks like the- this week leading up to their spring game and where it goes from there. But they've got to get better. I mean, they've got four guys that are returning. And, and I think a big deal – a big part of why they haven't had success in the last year, they weren't able to take big jumps, is because they didn't get those practice opportunities. And all four of those guys, the the only returner last year that was in the same spot was Brett Nelon, which is the center. Everyone else was moving a position. So Jalen McKenzie went from right guard to right tackle. Everyone was kind of bumping in, in or out or flipping over the other side. So I, I think everyone was trying to get used to a new position and didn't have the opportunity to practice at all. USC got one spring practice in last year, so that's no pads, that's nothing. Basically, it's not even real practice. You're just kind of walking through and getting your feel. And then obviously out here in California there, you know, the restrictions were much, much tighter uh, throughout the, the whole process. So you didn't, you got a, an abbreviated fall camp. And I think that took a big, was a big impact on the offensive line, not being able to gel, not being able to take a step forward because there's some guys on there that have some talent. And a guy like Liam Jimmins is a guy who I pegged as maybe you could even move him to left tackle last year. 
they put him at, uh, at at left guard or excuse me at right guard, and that's where he's going to stay. But he's a guy that was a defensive tackle a couple years ago, and we just saw these huge strides that he made each time that he was in a camp. So from spring camp when he moved the offensive line, from the beginning to the end of the spring camp, then the, the fall camp, the beginning of the end, just making these big jumps as he you know got some experience and was learning the position. So I thought he was a guy that could take the, another jump like that. I think maybe that's what you'll see from the offensive line as this this spring progresses with a new offensive line coach, but also in the fall as well, just having the opportunity to, to figure out where guys are going to play and then start to gel. But the, the fact that they weren't able to have those camps, I think, really hurt them. And, and that's been the big issue for them the last couple of seasons is that offensive line play. And I want to go across the trenches here. We, we hit on a little bit uh, at the defensive line. This is a group that could be pretty special, and not just this year, but in the future. You mentioned Corey Foreman, who number one recruit in the country at 24-7 sports, as we know. He's not arriving till the summer. It's been great to watch him this spring, but he's not coming till this summer. There's another big guy that's turning heads at USC. Big guy. Clay Helton loves him, in fact, from what I saw from the uh, Saturday scrimmage they had. Yeah, Jay Toya, in the defensive tackle, is a four-star guy out of Grace Brethren, was kind of forgot about in, in the, the recruiting class because he had been committed, it seemed like, for 15 years. Uh, you know, he was one of the first guys to commit in, in the class, and they did have to hold off some, some other schools late in the cycle. Uh, but to get him in, he's a guy who's like 330 pounds. Clay Helton called him a mountain of a man and said he's never seen anyone with, with his head as big as his. Said he has the head of an elephant, uh, which I don't know if that's a compliment or not, to be honest. Hey. Hey, it's the land of Tusk. Why not? Why not stay in? <laughs> um, but yeah, Toy has come in and he's made an impact. You know, I think the, the defensive line, we've seen different guys. Now they're mixing and matching. They're moving some guys inside and outside. We're seeing some guys drop into coverage. And we talked with Vic Soto last weekend. One of the things he said is we're trying guys out and giving them opportunities to see what they can do. So you're seeing some defensive tackles drop back in in a zone blitz, a zone pressure, and seeing those guys drop back and make a tackle six or seven yards down the field. And you go, wait, wait, who is that? Because there was one play where Stanley Taufulu made a play as defensive tackle, number 47. And I was like, is that 47 and 27, 17? I see a seven, but that doesn't seem like it's right. But no, he had dropped back in coverage and then comes up to make a play on, a, on an underneath throw. So it, it's interesting to see how much they're mixing and matching. And guys are really standing out so far. Atoya is one of them. I think Jacob Lichtenstein, a guy who, who um, opted out last year for, for the majority of the season, came back for the last couple of games, didn't participate. But I think he's taken some big strides forward. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that's a workout warrior. And I think we, you know, we had seen glimpses of it before he got injured and missed the 2019 season. I pegged him as a guy to kind of be a breakout candidate. And he's looked good so far this spring. Drake Jackson is a guy that we expect to make a, huge, a ton of plays. And he's just now getting back. He was another guy that, that missed the first week or so with some COVID protocol issues. So I think that there's a, a ton of talent there that's kind of been a little bit underrated guys that were three-star Nick Figueroa is a Juco transfer Caleb Tremblay is a Juco transfer guys that aren't those uh, those top-end guys that USC's used to getting are making a ton of plays right now and now when you add Drake Jackson back in the mix and when you get Corey Foreman you got two star two you know top 100 guys the number one player really excited to see where those guys can can develop in their game under Soto and see how much havoc they can cause. Well, I, I know the spring. We're, the spring's all about developing young guys and moving guys around to see where they could fit and maybe you know be a guy that could be rotating here and there outside their own position. But we need to talk about Keaton Slovis and and his receivers. What are they capable of achieving this upcoming season this fall on offense? And is this going to be one of those special offenses that we look back five years from now at USC? So Keaton Slovis. A lot of people have asked us, does he look like Keaton Slovis of 2019? Or does he look like Keaton Slovis of 2020? Yeah. 
So in 2020, he had he admitted he had some confidence issues. He was coming off that injury in, in the, the Holiday Bowl and never really regained his confidence and didn't have an opportunity to with no spring ball and the abbreviated uh, fall camp. But this offseason, he has gone and worked with a 3D Q, QB company that Drew Brees and Tom Brady working with Tom House, the company that he, he's with. And I actually had Tom House on, on a podcast this past week, and he talked a little bit about that. We also talked a lot, a lot about uh, Hank Aaron and the home run record. He's the one that caught the ball in, in the outfield if you don't know, but you know, a guy with a ton of stories. I think he dropped name dropped about 10 Hall of Famers in our conversation, which is which is crazy. But you know, Tom House talked a little bit about Keaton Slovis on the podcast, and you know, he said that he expects him to take a big jump in his game. Now he's not working directly with him, but he said because I haven't been called in and he's the one that usually helps out with the mentality stuff, you know, if, if need be, he says, because I haven't been called in, that t- that's a positive sign um, that, that he's not working directly with him at this point. So I think Keaton Slovis is, he's somewhere in between. We don't see the same zip on the ball necessarily, but I think the confidence is back as far as, you know, back to the 2019 level. And I think part of the, the, the hesitancy right now is just because he doesn't have familiarity with the receivers. The only guy that's in there that he's really had a lot of time with is Drake London, but Drake London, has actually moved to the outside so he's in a new position you got some new guys coming in katie nixon the the receiver transfer from colorado um and michael jackson the three-star guy from uh, maybe maybe we bumped him up to a four-star late but from las vegas has been turning some heads as a freshman but there's not a lot of bodies right now at the receiver position you know brew mccoy is is out has been out for the first couple weeks they expect him back now Kyle Ford has not uh, practiced yet. He's he's a guy that they hope to have back in the fall after his second ACL tear. But they're looking to get some guys back, but he just have, doesn't have that familiarity with, with the receivers right now. So I think that's a little bit causing the hesitancy. But he's somewhere in between that 2019 and 2020 form. And if he gets back to 2019 form, then I think the offense can be really good if they protect him. It all comes back to the offensive line with USC is if you can protect him and if they can run the ball a little bit more, then that takes a little bit of the pressure off of Slovis as well. But you know, I think they'll throw the ball and they'll throw it a lot and be able to have some success there. But how successful the offense as a whole is will come back to the offensive line protecting Slovis and opening up some run holes. All right, so it looks like we'll get to a new normal with recruiting here soon. We might finally have recruits on campuses starting in June. Once again, I know that USC staff is already lining up official visits and trying to get these guys on campus. What does recruiting look like this summer for USC? And what are some names we need to watch going into June and July and August? I mean, USC right now has been stacking up, you know, the official visit weekends. There is going to be a ton of talent visiting Los Angeles, just players from all over the country. And it's interesting, they've really focused outside of Southern California right now. I feel like they're they're starting outside and they're going to work their way back in. I think part of it is because of California not playing high school football until the spring. So it's been a crazy time right now. You know, I covered USC's run to the the Elite Eight in basketball. That game was the first day of spring practice. So technically – Every single sport that I cover was going on because I cover college baseball as well. But I was at, you know, I've been at high school football games, high school basketball games have been going on. So all that's going on right now in the spring. So I feel like they're going to work their way back to the local kids a little bit. They're still in contact with them and everything, but just not as much, not as high priority, I think, right now as far as visits and whatnot. So I, I think they're going to get those guys maybe a little bit later, but they, their summer official visit weekends are stacked right now. Every It seems like every day or every two days we see another kid that, that is, you know, saying that he's 
he's going to come on an official visit in June or July. So uh, USC is really stacking it up right there. And it's a positive sign for them because they've been slow to adapt with the early signing period and whatnot in the past. Whereas now, you know, they've had this layoff where they haven't been able to get people in because USC loved to get guys to come in in January because, hey, if you can bring a kid in from Ohio or Michigan that's looking at those Big Ten schools and you bring them in January and it's 70 degrees outside and you take them to the beach, that's a big recruiting advantage there. Well, now they know they got to push things up because everything is so geared towards that early signing period in December. So there's, there's a number of guys they're looking at. And then one guy from the 2021 class still out there, the number one player in the country, JT Tuimoloa, they're, they're hoping to get him on an official visit as well. All right, so next fall – Here's just the the Pac-12 schedule. Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State, Colorado, Utah, Notre Dame, of course, outside the Pac-12, the big game. Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, UCLA. We were talking. I mean, does it seem like it's championship or bust for USC in the fall? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, they got to take care of business. You know, they, they've had plenty of uh, the schedule lines up favorably for them, and they have the opportunity. So they they need to take care of it. I mean, they've been so accustomed to you know having things scheduled, the schedule being against them, and that's just the Pac-12 in general. Whether it's hey, you play on a on a Friday or you play on a Saturday in Utah, and then the next Friday you're supposed to play at Washington State. Like the Pac-12 scheduling has been terrible in the past and hasn't favored the top end teams and has created much more parity, which Larry Scott apparently wanted, but it hasn't created college football playoff participants. So I think the the schedule this year sets up nicely for USC. So they definitely need to take advantage of it. And and the fact that there's so many opportunities on the schedule where you say like, oh, if this game was here instead, that'd be much tougher. You know, if they played Colorado in November when it's cold, that'd be much tougher. They play them early. Those type of situations are, you know, all work favorably for USC this season. So I think definitely it is championship or bust for them. Shotgun Spryling, uscfootball.com. Make sure and follow me on Twitter at ShotgunSPR. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for listening to the College Football Daily. Make sure and rate and review and follow us wherever you get podcasts, and make sure and check us out on Spotify. I'm Brandon Marcello. Thanks for listening. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.